Welcome to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen. It's my honor to be the Bible teacher of this ministry, and I have been for the last 20 years. We've rejoiced to be able to come to you every weekday. This is a program of the International Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and its Missions Fellowship, the Bread of Life Church in Boise, Idaho. You can learn more about our work by going to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Have you ever lost yourself in the memories of the good old days? There you found a wishful look back to the past. Such recollections can warm our hearts, but they can leave us cold as well, because life takes its turns, and the good old days promised a future that hasn't always materialized for us just yet. In Psalm 77, the psalmist is actually haunted by past memories of blessings that have come and seem to have gone away. This is the lament found in remembering. It's understandable, and it's human. And those memories were not given to haunt you, but to give you a hope when days disappoint. We really don't know when this psalm was written. It doesn't appear that this psalm was written to express a, a national concern or a national lament. Actually, Asaph was a songwriter in Israel, but it was a name that was acquired by various songwriters throughout the history of Israel. What Asaph oftentimes did was it, he wrote songs that the whole nation of Israel could join into and sing. But in this case, this psalm is quite personal. It's an expression of an individual who's pouring out their sorrows in verse. And there are issues in this passage that make it difficult to interpret it. Once you begin going into it and studying it, you realize that there are, and you might do this, just go and start lining up the different translations against one another and form a parallel. You can do that on different apps or different points in your computer nowadays. And you go to different websites, and you go up and read them all, and you'll see that there are quite divergent expressions of what some of the different verses might mean. And right at the very beginning there's a little bit of a discrepancy. The, the King James records the words of the author saying, I have cried to the Lord and he has heard me, but actually the Hebrew language doesn't provide a recognizable tense in this passage. It's more like what the author is doing. is He's less concerned about you understanding the time frame in which he's speaking and projecting time elements around what he's saying. Then what he wants you to do is he wants you to hear his voice. The focus is on his voice. And in the Hebrew, what it really says is something like this. My voice to God, and I cry, my voice to God, that he hear. The projection is on his cry. And the sound that the songwriter makes with his voice is not the articulation of words. His hands are outstretched for something that has not yet been received. His eyes are opened, finding no sleep and no rest in the midst of his dilemma. His voice can be heard, but there are no sounds that are passing from his lips. There's only groans, moaning, as with a pain that has stripped him of his strength and yet will not pass from him. He would pray, he tells us in verse 4, but he is so troubled that he can't even find the words to express himself. Have you ever been there in a situation like that? When you're in such anguish, you're so disturbed that you go alone to pray and you might begin your prayer by saying, dear father or oh God, but the minute that you attempt to Put before God an explanation of your need or your concern or your burden. No language suitable is found for you to put your finger on the matter before God. You don't know what the trouble really is. Or if you did know it, you would not know how to articulate it entirely. And in this passage, we don't know what the trouble is that the songwriter is facing. What the trial is that he is going through. But 
we actually do know what it is that put him and brought him to this place of lament. We know how he got there, and how he got there was by remembering better days. It was his memory of bygone days and his journey through the moments of blessing and promise in his life that opened up the sharpness of his lament. Verse 5, I consider the days of old and the years long ago. I have said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. And then you read on and see what the outcome is of this search that he makes. And it's a complaint. At this point in time, he begins to articulate a statement before God, but it's just full of questionings and wonderings. Well, this will be our first point. It's the lament of remembering. It's the disenchantment of remembering. I think it's safe to say that this individual is not looking at his past in order to consider the miseries that he's experienced in the past. He's not reflecting upon his sins. In fact, there's no indication in the psalm that there's any confession here that he's trying to get right because of something that he's done that he's suffering from. He's not considering that his sins are the cause of his present sorrows. I think instead he is contemplating God's blessings and the presence of God in his life that has been revealed to him in past days. It is as if for a moment he has gone back and retrieved positive moments and positive memories in his life He thinks of his discovery of God's goodness and mercy through the years past. He thinks of the song that God has authored in his heart that has welled up within him in the night hours. He has a story of a testimony of walking with God, a walk that has shaped his life and had a tremendous impact upon his life. And he thinks of that time when God became real to him and God was his delight And all of the positive things that came to his life as God was manifesting himself to him. You go back into your own life for a moment and you begin to think. And I'm asking you not simply to go back to your childhood, but go back to your life at that time when God became central to it. When God began to occupy the central place and the central consideration and the central movement of your life. And you'll see that at that moment there was something of the greatness and the goodness that began to arise before you. Your life began to take on a volume of potential that was expressed in all that you began to discover that God was for you. And God was in you. You began to see that you were awakened to a life that began to, in a sense, glow with everything or resonate everything that God was to you and God revealed Himself to be and God's presence was there. You know, a person may come to Christ out of a difficult past. But after they come to Christ, after a difficult past, the past begins to take on a new dimension to them as well, as they remember it. They think of their past life, no matter what it was, no matter what the failures were, no matter what the brokenness was, and they begin to see how God was patient with them. They might see how God was unrelentingly pursuing them and loving them. They think of those times and they think of how God had brought His mercy to them or God's prevailing grace had reached them or how God had compassionately rescued them or how God had provided for them, even unknown to them, tremendous protections in preserving them in the midst of all the times in which maybe they were engaged in destructive behavior or whatever it was. Or how God somehow in the midst of something that should have ruined them, God kept alive some spark of longing and search and pursuit of Him that God by His Spirit used to bring Him into His presence, 
When God becomes central in your life, it even changes the way you look at the past. When God becomes central in your life, it changes the way that you look at the present. The present has all of a sudden a new perspective. God begins to infuse himself into all the little things in your life. You see yourself in a new way. You see yourself as God's child. You see yourself as one who has been forgiven. You see that God has become your inheritance and your lot in life. And all of a sudden, you're incredibly enriched. You see yourself as someone who has got a new start in life. In fact, you've been born again. God's love for you, your love for God begins to brighten all the present moments of your life. And in that present state, you begin to do everything for Him. Actually, you make commitments to Him that are almost exaggerated expressions of your willingness to do anything that God wants you to do. I don't know if you remember that. If you can think back on those occasions. Your very present life begins to take a different shape. And then again, what happens when God becomes central in your life is the future begins to glow with a whole new sense of potentiality and promise. Maybe you can look back to those days, those early days when you didn't know what was ahead of you, but God was central in your life and there wasn't any deep, profound concern. There was a sense of anticipation and maybe a little sense of anxiousness about it, but it was actually kind of a blessed anxiousness. The thought really was, what is God going to do with my life? And there was hope in it. Now that past sins were forgiven, you were enjoying a present state of peace with God. And as you did, you began to think of what lied ahead for you. And all you saw was opportunities to serve God, a God who had forgave you, a God who was always with you. And you even said things like this, projecting yourself towards the future. God, I will follow you even if no one else does. Maybe the song you found yourself singing was, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Though no one join me, still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back. You said things like, I'll live for you, God, and I'm ready to die for you. As you projected yourself towards the future, you might have said something like this. God, I'll be content to take the lowest position in life if only I can do it for you and with you. You put yourself out there. Now that memory is yours to retrieve. That memory is an expression of what God had done in your life and how God had manifested himself to you. And you went forward in that reality into a life of an unknown future with a somewhat of a childlike faith. And God blessed you in that position more times than you can recall. Think about it. How many times God blessed you as a result of that commitment and that desire and God watched over you and he presided over your life and he sustained you. You have an accumulation of answered prayers where he led you and he provided for your needs. You first gave to him your life and then later maybe you gave to him your marriage and then later on you gave to him and surrendered to him in that attitude your children and then you surrendered to him your career choices and you bought your home, and you said, God, I want you to be the owner of this home and occupy. You did these things. These are the accumulated memories of your life. Oh, the stories that you may be able to tell of how God, God's intervening grace met you time and time again. I hope you know those things. I hope you've shared them with your own children. In fact, it happens so regularly that you actually, at some point in time, almost began to take it for granted. It was almost as if it was a given that God was going to show up at just the right moment and He was going to provide at just the right time an answer to all the challenges that you faced. 
those good old days, you also heard the great stories of what God had done or worked among His people in His church in days past. You were blessed not only with your own memories, but you were blessed with the memorials of how God had manifest Himself and demonstrated Himself through the body of Christ and through the history of the church, and that became a great encouragement to you. I don't know, maybe it didn't, it was to me. I remember when I think about it, the first books that I began to read were Christian biographies of great men that God had used to shape nations and touch our lives, how they learned to pray and see that God would provide all their prayers. George Mueller, the story of George Mueller was one of the first stories I ever read. This wonderful man who sustained a tremendous orphanage and a great ministry on the basis of not request to others but to God. And God provided for him. What God had done in my life, what God had done in the history of the church filled me with such hope. What God had done in my father's life and my parents' life filled me with such hope. And I think that the man of our Psalms has a similar experience and he has similar memories. He has his own wonderful testimony of God's work in his own life. He has the great stories of God's work among his nation, Israel. He can think of Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Gideon and David and how God gave them to the nation and how God did great things among them through them and of great prophets who had gone before. The positive elements of memories. I hope you have good memories like this. I know that these memories create expectations that are not always immediately met. We'll explore that in our next broadcast. But for now, thank God for what He's done. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.